What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and I am flying solo tonight, but not not entirely solo. I got my good buddy, Mr. Drew Gregory yeah. here, who's joining me. I'm running yeah. solo amongst the co-hosts, <laughs> Drew, okay? Okay. Uh, it's, All uh, right. it's, <laughs> the co-hosts are beat up this week. I mean, they, they've taken some uh, take one for the team for me and let me take nights off, and it's my week to uh, kind of uh, run the charge for them, so. Uh, Deacon, unfortunately, found out today he's got the rota, so he's not feeling well. He's stuck there in good old snowy Colorado. I, I say snowy Colorado, and I, I got like a foot and a half here in New York. It's expert, like snowed in pretty much. Uh, we still have Andy, nothing. Week off, yeah, yeah. So it's no nothing. Snow it's nothing here. We have nothing here. I mean, in like Ohio? still nothing in Cleveland, like the Cleveland Akron area, at least where I am, a little south, you know, more close to Akron. Nothing all year long, except for the one time when we took our little girl home from the hospital. That one. One day, that was it. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one time. Yeah, we are. I mean, you probably could go two hours up and you'd run into a foot of snow. Yeah, it's I mean, a, exactly. Where we're at in Buffalo, dude, it's just like this funnel, like between we're getting the, the beginning of Lake Ontario fronts and then the end of Lake Erie fronts. So, like, we, we just get crushed with snow. And it went like in the rainy season, too. Yeah, you get, you get yeah. pounded with rain. Yeah, not really brutal. looking forward to that. Now that I'm living in Buffalo, not really looking forward to that this spring. But yeah, it is what Buffalo is brutal. Everyone knows that. If you watch football games, you understand Buffalo is is brutal. The snow is always there on Sundays once you get to about mid December. Yeah, you know, and January. they have the quote that says, uh, it, "It's I can't really quote it verbatim, but basically they say when it's uh, when it's bad for them, it's just right for us." Now yeah. they say that, but then they still lose to the Patriots in the run game, and that's. <laughs> No boy. Oh man! But didn't they beat them last time? Recently, they beat them in Fox. Yeah, when they so there you go. Yeah, when they're not in forty-five not, dollars sustained wins, yeah. they they beat them. Yeah, yeah, right. But so. uh, yeah, they don't have a good run game, so they didn't win the the first round. But it, by the looks of it, if things stay consistent, they're gonna play a third time in the playoffs. So that'll be interesting to say the least. Yeah, for sure, um, dude. How how was your Christmas? How was your New Year? Um, you know the big holidays with uh, now with the two little young ones running around. Well, I should say one running around, yeah. two second one isn't doing much running. <laughs> just, eat. <laughs> just eat, sleep, poop, sort of thing. Is that what they say? That's just yeah. kind of <laughs> what like she that. does, right? So it's pretty much like a bass. I mean, I'm pretty much yeah. that's all they do is just live, just eat, and yeah, I guess they sleep at some point. We know they do sleep, but uh, they have no eyelids, but still they do sleep, and then they just pee and poop so that's pretty much my daughter right now sophia is just <laughs> doing the same thing she's almost hitting that 20 inch mark so she's almost a citation a trophy but uh you know not quite but she's good the family's good christmas was good it's just different uh with two little ones anyone out there listening watching that has two young ones you, you know you you feel my joy and my pain at the same time so <laughs> i'm excited to have a little break today you know i try to get some work done here and, and things are starting to kind of loosen up uh she's a little over a month old but uh Start, of course, she wasn't like what six weeks early, she was like a month and a half early, so she's yeah. technically should be like a week old right now, right? right? But, um, but anyway, things are starting to get a little bit better. Um, and then I'm getting a little bit of work done, but I'm excited to be here, Bailey, because I'm not getting as much in my work as you know, it's in the fishing world, so it's it's usually it's fun, right? It involves right. fishing, somewhat fun, but um, 
I'm excited because I get a little break, dude, from all this, and I get to just hang out with you, talk a little fishing, debate it like you and I always do, and we're going to have a good time. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I just real quick, I want the the record to show that in the past, Drew has compared bass fishing to to dating, but now has compared a bass to his his new daughter. So <laughs> it always comes back to a bass. <laughs> That's true. It does. I did put it on a catch board. I did put it on the measuring board. That's how I, I know the length that. and uh, – you know, we'll see. The pediatrician's measurement was a little bit different on their measuring thing. I guess, I guess I'll take theirs as gospel, but uh, you know, the catch board was pretty cool having her on that. So, yeah, <laughs> I'd seen that. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but dude, before we get into you know, for, for folks tuning in tonight, we're going to be kind of talking very kayak centric stuff. But th- this could really even apply to uh, for folks that are in the boater world or. Whichever. I mean, there's still stuff that you guys can take from this, but Drew and I are going to talk about this on the foundation of kayak fishing um, because that's what we know best. And it's just going to be really interesting because I feel like folks talk about this, they highlight this, but they don't really kind of debate the two really different styles of kayak fishing and work kayak. I mean, people always attribute kayaks to like the bank, fish in the bank, don't go offshore at all. I mean, look at what's going on with the bass event at Grand Lake. You can't go, what is it, 150 mm-hmm. feet or something like that? Right. But, uh, Either way, you know, before we get into that, I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit because we are in the off season here for us Northerners. And uh, there, there's a handful of, of kayak anglers right now that you could pretty much call like almost full tour, like full season touring pros. Yeah. Uh, because it's kind of like it's their gig. Like obviously you'll have a YouTube channel or side businesses relative to fishing that you're working on. But like, you know, kayak fishing tournaments is like your deal. Like it's top of the priority list for you guys. So there's like, you know, there's you, Christine Fisher, Guillermo, Russ Snyders. I mean, I'd call I'd, I would refer to you guys as kayak, like pro kayak. Yeah. Jody, Cody, Matt yeah, there's Scott. A, there's a list of them. It's building each year, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Josh Stewart. There's a lot. Yeah. It's getting there. Yeah. And I think with that, I'm just curious for a kayak angler. Like, I feel like priorities are a little bit different when you take like a guy with a boat, obviously, because he's got to get an engine. He's got to get, you know, Raptors or his poles or trolling motor. I mean, you can get, still get a trolling motor for a kayak, but like, what does that look like? What does the off season look like to you? What does your priority list look like? Yeah. Before it starts? Yeah. I mean, it really is pretty similar. I mean, but you just take either you know, different components. So I've got a new, this sounds crazy. I got the new tour pro from motor guide, like the big <laughs> one. You know what I mean? That looks like the, uh, what is it? It looks like a rock on the front, you know? Oh, I got boy. that, right? So it's 105-pound thrust. Now, I had an XI-5, and uh, I was running that 105-pound thrust, but now I got that one because that's a true cable steer, so I can use my foot foot pedal. So I got to install that. still haven't installed it. I've got to, uh, you know, get new boats, and if you if you wrap your boats, I don't – well, I have one that's wrapped. I, I don't really do wraps. Realtree just did one uh, one time for me. But you got to get that kind of all going, new stickers, if you will, decals, you know, your new – I'm about to order my new rods and reels from 13 uh, any day now so I can get them in and start rigging them up, you know, get them set up. So it's a lot of the same stuff. The different stuff, you know, is is definitely going to be just that it's an, it's new kayaks. You know, they have one boat, but if once you become a, a real a person like everyone you just mentioned, that's a quote unquote PKA, like a professional kayak angler or an aspiring professional kayak angler that's taking it serious, you're always going to have more than one kayak most all of them once they get serious will understand even like look at the hobie side of things they've got the like a big hobie pro angler 14 what are you in like a 12 Mm -hmm. 
12. Okay, you're in a 12, but, but there's like a 12 or a 14, but that's a big, wide boat. But they also have the Outbacks that are they're a lot faster, and a lot of guys prefer those in certain waters, right? So it's really, you know, to be versatile and to really get every little bit of advantage you can, you're probably going to have, you know, two or three boats. So on the, the PKA side of things, you're probably getting – that whole lineup of boats figured out which two or three am I going to use this year? Looking at the schedule, I might need a skinny water, small kind of lightweight boat, or I might need, you know, a, a more motor motor centric boat for the tournaments like BASS and KBF that allow motors. So yeah, just kind of getting all that geared up and then ordering, ordering lures and stuff like from Z-Man, uh, you know, my main lure sponsored line, just the same Bass Boat World stuff really. So yeah. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of more people do that now, like bringing backup kayaks and such like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, man, <laughs> it's smart. It, it's, it's, it's logical, especially if like, this is what you do you know, majority of the year. Uh, for me though, I one, I haven't gotten to that level too, like, just because like, this is going to be like my first actual year, like really trying, you know, these, these bigger circuits, but then two, like, I don't know how the heck I'd car top two kayaks. I don't think that would work out. Yeah. Very well. <laughs> See, that's the other thing in the off season. You, if that's what you're moving towards, then you got to start investigating a trailer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And getting a trailer hitch on your vehicle, which is, it's just, when I know what you drive, it's like a, what is it, like a Nissan? It's a Ni- Ultra- Nissan Altima, but Ultima? Tyler Cole actually showed me at, uh, back at Possum Kingdom. He stayed with me for one of the nights, uh, leading up to practice. And he, he drove a Nissan Altima too. And he's like, you got to get this aftermarket kit. You can get a trailer for your, Ultima, <laughs> he's showing me all this stuff, and I was just like, "Dang, all right, maybe it does change the game." I have to get a trailer. You could, yeah. Uh, let me propose something to you, dude. Listen, all right. I know you got a Hobie here. You got Hobie on the screen. Uh, we all love Hobies and their pedal drives. It's it's you know top notch, but right. you can get a Crescent Ultralight retail. I think they're like six ninety nine, seven ninety nine. It's like a t- you know, and the CK one might be like eight ninety nine. It's not much. And I might know a guy. I might know a guy. I can help you out. But anyway, Hobie does not – I don't – they do not – I don't know if you're actually on their team or not. I can't remember if you yep. were technically. Okay, you're on their team. Oh, so they may not – they may or may not allow this. But they don't make paddle kayaks anymore, correct? No. Not I don't that think I they do. And we don't make pedal kayaks. So I'm just saying if they would allow it, there could be some spots where you could throw that little boat in and, and slide into a little creek. But we'll get into the conversation later. That's probably never what you're going to do. So – it's all good, but I'm just saying that's a good combo to have as a Crescent and a Hobie. It's a nice little one-two punch for all kinds of, you know, all water types. And you can zig I'll and have zag. My guy contact your guy, and then yeah. our guys will we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the back of an alley, dark alley, uh, yep. dark, dark van. Exactly. So. Yep. <laughs> oh, good grief. Uh, but yeah, so really getting into today's show what we wanted to talk about for for folks that are tuning in obviously you've seen the title you could tell by the thumbnail you could tell if you you know tune in our social media is uh grew uh drew and i almost called you grew you call you Groot from now on <laughs> that's a new nickname <laughs> but yeah, we've debated a lot like since we've known each other and i wouldn't really more say debate because it really hasn't been us trying to say one or the other is better it's more of like we've kind of like discussed how we're literally polar opposites when it comes to like just how we compete, how we like to fish in general. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the bigger reasons too. I mean, one, I'd tr- even if we fished similarly, I would trust you. But one of the reasons why we're like, we could easily travel with each other for the year and tell each other everything because we're not going to do the other thing that the other is doing. Yeah. So, exactly. That's what, so, I love, that's what I love about you, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So it, it'll it's going to be a fun little conversation here for folks that are tuning in because Drew is the the backwaters, the no graphs, you know, get into the skinniest of water, you know, drag your kayak around, you know, whatever barrier that's stopping them. And then I'm the guy that's out there with the boats with 360 and forward facing sonar using electronics and fishing as deep as water as I can, because for some reason I like that. But um, so we're going to kind of compare the two today because kayaks can do both. Um, so it's, there's this, like we, were, we were saying earlier, there's this notion of kayaks have to be like, what you were talking about, Drew, like taking it, dumping it into a little pond, backwater pond that a boat can't get into. And that's still the case. And it's still a driving factor, I think, to get a kayak, mm-hmm. but that doesn't, that's not where that limit is for kayaks, if that makes sense. I mean, there's been multiple times this past year where I'm out on Lake Erie miles offshore or Ontario right. and Boats pull up next to me and they're like, are you good? Are you able to get back? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here willingly on my own. Yep. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so there's, it, it's going to be a, a fun conversation here, but I think Drew, if you want to kick us off, I mean, I think for anyone that's in the kayak realm that knows you knows exactly your style of fishing, but kind of break down like what you like to do. Like what is G- Drew Gregory's style of fishing? Well, it's good, good to be known that it's good that it's known, you know, that's my style of fishing. I like that. That's good for, you know, a brand. It's good for people. If you look at the bass boat world, right. Everyone knows what John Cox does or, you know what I mean? Like that everyone just has their styles, you know, yeah, right. So I know I just did post something where, uh, you know, the Hobie uh, tournament where Jordan Marshall referenced, I did my best drew Gregory and he drug his kayak through a field and whatnot. But that's actually why I got the kayak originally. You know, I I've fished out of boats growing up and we never had a big bass boat. I had a small little, believe it or not, it was like a 14 foot fiberglass bass boat, a glass stream. I don't think they make anything close to that small anymore in fiberglass, but I had one and, uh, and we had a, a little John boat growing up. So I, I did the whole boat thing. And to me, it was just about exploring these wild places that just sort of like gripped my heart. And the kayak was just the best tool to do it. I grew up in the Southeast where you got a lot of these, these rivers in the Piedmont and the, in the mountains that have rapids and rocks where bass boats just can't get and jet boats still cannot really get. Uh, so it was just the best tool. And so the, that's what the kayak is to me. And so because I fish the tournaments now, I still don't really stray from that. I just, you know, really hope fingers crossed and pray that every tournament I go to, I can find something that I also enjoy fishing. And, you know, that's my strength, you know, rivers and, and backwaters and just sneak holes, places that boats can't get that it will play and it'll work. And typically I can figure it out and find it, but it's, it's, you know, only because of the so many years experience I've had doing this, you know, I didn't get married till I was 35 or didn't meet my wife till I was 35. I think I was 36 when I got married. So that whole time I was dating the bass, basically. I was just fishing and fishing and fishing. And I don't I don't have a lot of time. Yeah, there we are again with the references. But I don't have a lot of time these days to, to get out there and like pre-fish and, and continue to hone my craft as much. But um, you know, I've done so much in the past. So I just hope and pray that I can find somewhere in each tournament that my style fits and been fortunate that it's worked out to this point. So Yeah, I, I remember when we were fishing last year for the the first bass kayak championship where we, we would call each other, you know, during practice. Cause like we said earlier, we could tell each other exactly what we were doing and, and know that the other one wasn't going to one copy burn us, but two, that we could kind of like give some, you know, complete polar opposite input of what we're doing. And maybe we could even point something out that the other one didn't think of. 
I remember you saying, I think it was like literally the first two full days of practice that you were like, dude, I, I'm just not finding what I want to see yet. Well, I mean, plus we were going through that drastic change of that rain that came through and like right. that just mud straight, like less than an inch of viz was coming down that river system. I think it was the the last day, the third day that it was like the half, the half day of practice that you finally found something that you had a, a gleam of hope. And obviously after, you know, when I, when you said that to me going into the, like the meeting, I was like, damn, like Drew's going to figure yeah. out. If he, if he said he had a glimmer of hope then that means, you know, something's about to go down. And after day one, it proved to fruition. You had like what, 107. No. What did you know? You had under 100 inches on the dot, right? You you were in second. Yeah, I think so. I think I was 100, maybe. I think I was a little. Yeah, I was in. I think I was in second, maybe or no. I can't remember honestly. I think I was. <laughs> I was up there. I was like second or third or fourth, something like that. You were in the um, top five. You can say that. I was. Simply. I think I was actually. Yeah, second or third because I was laughing because the second day I did pretty darn good and usually uh you'll you'll go up and I actually went down because the other guys just smashed it so well and it ended up in mm-hmm. fourth but you're right i mean i found something that day which is actually funny because it that what i found on the last day of practice didn't really end up being working out to being the the deal for me and i had to kind of zig again a little bit but it's just funny how, how rains will will change things when you get such heavy rains it'll change so quickly you know what i mean because the water when you get the flash floods it, it yeah it goes up fast but also comes down fast so, so you know one day an area may not have been fishable but then by the time 24 hours hits and it comes down you could end up being the first person at a spot where it's finally fishable and it hasn't been for you know three days of rain you know so it that's kind of what i found it, it, the water had come down mm. in the area and it had gotten back to enough clarity to actually get to some fish and it was just a wild time back there so I, had good a good, I have a good feeling now what you actually did. It took me this long to figure yeah. out what it is. Uh, I think I have a good idea, but we'll, we'll leave that for, for another yeah. day. But, but so talking about the, the different side of the spectrum. So Drew's, you know, likes the skinny water, backwater, exactly what he just described. And I'm the polar opposite in the fact that I like to rely on my electronics. I like to do um, usually, you know, when the, the practice comes, like talking about the same event that we fished. I spent a majority almost day one just graphing where it was, you know, I was, you know, thunder thighs were my engine that day. I don't have a trolling motor. So I was putting in miles, just trying to side image graph, see what I could find. Um, and that's the kind of style of fishing I like, because usually when you find a school and it lights up for some reason, I, that's just for me, like so satisfying is when they show mm-hmm. up and you're like, that's a school of bass. Your first cast in, you get throttled or thumped and you just get that first sign for some reason that's just like all that clicking is what I love, but it's, I like being offshore away from the bank, the, the less bank, the insight possible, the better for me. I don't, it just makes me feel more mentally that these fish are a little bit more untapped. Whereas right. like some of the back, what's was we'll get into here that how your, your realm of things of backwater stuff is almost kind of the same thing. Those fish are untapped, uh, which exactly. we'll discuss in a bit. But I mean, for me, it's, as far away from shore as I can. And I'm using my electronics pretty heavily. You know, it's a lot of boat positioning and not, not that backwater stuff isn't about boat positioning, but for me, it's kind of getting your waypoints, right. Using like mega 360, and you're just kind of trying to either use contours, use find, find offshore cover or structure. And it's just, it's, I mean, it's really coming back to, I'm just an electronic heavy fisherman and that's, that's who I am. Um, But I like to be, offshore where you like to be in that skinny stuff 
So and I do. here's where the conversation we'll get into is, you know, like people always attribute, like we mentioned a few times, kayaks, skinny water, ponds, stuff like that. Uh, there's not too many guys, and I know there's guys that are very good at doing it still, but there's not too many people, at least for me, that I've seen in New York that like to fish offshore. I don't know if it's they're just like comfortable being on the bank in the kayak or they're they're still in that stigma. But it's kind of it's kind of interesting. You don't see too many guys going offshore. There's or those guys that do and they get kind of nervous in a slight chop. Maybe I'm just dumb when it comes to like, hey, maybe this is dangerous. But it's something I like to be offshore because I feel like at least for me in the Northeast, not as many people do it. So it gives me more reach for different fish, if that makes sense. No, it does, man. And like you said, we're doing the same thing. You know, we're all looking for unpressured, untapped fish that no one else is, you know, really throwing a bait at. They're going to be the easiest to trick, the easiest to fool. And there is something satisfying about what you just said. Uh, and I get it. I totally get it. Uh, I may have to be doing that at the Bass Championship this year because it really isn't. I don't see a lot of great river and creek opportunities at that event because the Savannah River out of Hartwell dumps right into the next lake. So, that's probably not an option. And, and, and the creeks are usually running cold that time of year. So probably not the best option either. And there aren't any real big ones. So I may have to be doing, you know, the, the Bailey thing there at that event, but, it, but I get it. It's so satisfying to find that spot. It takes a long time. And what I do takes a while as well. You know, there's no doubt rivers and creeks, especially small, the smaller the Creek, the easier it is to just throw a bait in there and probably catch a fish. They're unpressured. The problem is in a tournament, we're not looking for just, any fish right we're looking for big ones and it's you know very rare that a creek a small creek competes with a main lake because the bigger the ocean the bigger the fish it's it is true uh now once you get to medium-sized rivers and and like let's say a large river feeding into a lake that's different because then there's there's big fish there as well but even still i'm hunting for that needle on a haystack just like you you know mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's definitely a lot of similarities there so i see what you're saying and, and the gratifications there on my end it, the same way it is for you when you find that that school of fish for me it's a little bit different because it's never a school it is a it is a body of water a section of river or creek or backwater that happens to you know they have kind of one-off fish you know what i mean it just happens to have good size fish but it's it's like there could be one it's a mile pattern. yeah yeah one a mile maybe that has this sizable to, that matters and then you mm-hmm. got to catch that one you got to try to catch it maybe one every two or three miles so it's not a school of a hundred fish or 500 fish on Kentucky Lake or Chickamauga, whatever, but um, it's just a different thing. And that's what's scary about what I do is because if someone else finds those fish and you show up in the morning and it, you know, whether it's a bridge or canoe and kayak launch or whatever boat ramp and it's skinny water, then nobody's winning from that spot. You know what I mean? There's, there's just only so many fish that there's not a giant school. So it's a nervous thing. That's the most nerve wracking part of what I do. Um, as probably compared to yours, because if you find yours, even if someone else finds it and pulls up, if there's 50 or 75, you could even fire them up off each other. And that just doesn't yeah. really happen. Plus, the, then the second day of a tournament, I get nervous even if I haven't seen anyone there. If I fished it one day, you're looking at the problem of, uh, you know, you've already pressured that area and, and those fish have been caught and they may or may not bite again. And even if they do, you can't use the same fish twice in a kayak tournament, right? So catch, photo, release, you just it's not allowed to prevent people from obviously keeping the fish and reusing them on day two. You got that in your back of your, of your mind as well. So you got to almost have a couple places lined up and, and zig and zag a little bit and maybe unload the kayak and go somewhere else, um, you know, on the lake on, on day two 
or if it's not happening. So I do that quite a bit as well. People don't think you can do that. They don't think you can move in a kayak. You got to just really milk an area and hone in. You can't, you can't make runs and stuff like that. I do not buy that one bit uh, with my strategy. I've moved as many as five times in a day, you know, 20, 30 minutes away and driven, just unloaded real quick and driven to other places, popped in. So it is possible. Anyway, uh, I is, there speeding, is there a speeding ticket rule in the kayak tournaments? I think technically there is. <laughs> technically, if you were to get a ticket, and I think if you break a law of any sort in the middle of the tournament, I think you, I don't know, probably could be disqualified. I, I think. I don't know. If we put you up to a polygraph on how much you've, if you have <laughs> gone above the speeding limit when, 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 uh, you know, changing spots, would you, would you pass or fail? <laughs> well, I've already spent the money that my checks cash. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> what am I going to say now? Fair I mean, fair, yeah. <laughs> so I think everybody is back in the day when you had to return to the actual, a certain uh, place for kayak fishing tournaments. And it was like mandatory. You had to be back in check-in line by this time. Everybody sped, right? Wow. Everybody did. As a matter of fact, and you can get it so fine tuned as well. Did anyone run a stop sign that morning? getting to you know what i mean your your launch then we're all in breach of the rules so i think i think that one just kind of everyone does it to some degree so i guess that one just kind of slides under the radar so I, i'm guilty of it it's all right yeah. i'll oh, throw yeah. myself under the For bus sure. too um yeah. but no I, you make a good point too it's like I think, you know, the work for my style, that offshore style is comes into the search mode. But really, once you kind of put that initial search in of finding those fish, whether it's one school or 10 schools, whichever it is, you know, once you found those, you can kind of set up either kind of like a, a milk run or you mm-hmm. can kind of get a pattern. I mean, in kayak fishing, you can only spread yourself out so far. Uh, well, I think if in terms of my style where you're going to only have one launch. Right. Whereas like you can spread yourself out, like in your case, right. You can only hit an entire lake, depending on the size of it in terms of like, I'm going to drop in here, fish for an hour and a half, leave dropping somewhere else, hour and a half. And I think that's where your work, like your workload comes in where it's, you know, you're loading and unloading and you're putting in the work of going down one section and then back loading back up, driving, I mean, that's you're spending more gas, too, than I think the majority of folks, you know, that are maybe going to max, you know, two launches. So there's right. I think it's in my mind, it's it's I think it's way more work for your style of fishing because it's more of that loading and unloading. And I think what's what's I, mean, I give you a mad respect for this, too, because I could never do it with my mental state and how I competitively fish is the time management it takes to do that. I could, I would freak out. I'd be so nervous because I want as much time as possible. But like the fact that you can be able to time management, almost kind of like schedule out your day. And that's actually, that's kind of where I'm curious with too, is like, do you plan that you said that you've hit like at five spots mm-hmm. at most? Is that because maybe one doesn't, you know, one, one, two, three doesn't pan out the way you want, or it's because you're just going to run and hit those five different ones in hopes that you're just kind yeah. of running and you fish possible. No, I mean, what you said first is, is right. I mean, stop one's not panning out like I thought. Um, so, and, and I'll give you an example. The one time I did hit five, well, there was two, there was a couple times. One was Lake Dardanelle um, this past year, and the other one was uh, up on the upper Mississippi in Lacrosse. But 
Dardanelle I'd pre-fished, and in five minutes, it's a spot I'd fished the year prior when I won at Lake Dardanelle on the Hobie Bass Open Series. I won there. And I'd fished this area, and I didn't fish it during the tournament, but I'd pre-fished it, so I knew there was some potential there. And this is a different time of the year. It's in April. I went there, and in the first five minutes of pre-fishing this area, I caught like a, a 19 and a half, 20. It was like a five-pounder. Five and I caught the fish in five minutes, and I and I left. So that's my pre-fishing style. I'm going to catch one – once I catch one solid fish, plus I already had a little history there, I thought they're here. Uh, I think maybe I caught two that day, sixteen, and like whatever that 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 good one that was it. And I was like, all right, I'm out. I spent fifteen minutes there. Well, in the tournament, for whatever reason, it, you know, sometimes fish will they will fool you. You know, they'll they'll lie to you every once in a while. They do, and that was one of those situations where they that fish just happened to be there. I don't know what it was, but I fished that area for a solid you know hour and a half, two hours. Can't remember. It was a while maybe two and a half and, and nothing. So I had to have, and, and during my pre-fishing, that's the way I roll. I kind of find multiple places to put in where they have potential, where I've caught fish. I always want to give myself an out. And I'll use this as an example. My brother used to drive a big rig, right? Like a semi. And what he did, he always told me, he said, when they train to drive the big rigs, you always have to be thinking. And just this is the same with a, a regular vehicle too. But for semi, especially, they're always thinking, Where's your out right now if your tire blows? Where can you pull off? Where can you go? You don't want to be stuck in the middle lane, right? You want to be on on one, obviously the right lane really for trucks, but you always need to have an out. And I always want to give myself an out. If it doesn't work out, I want to have a plan B, C, and D because I never really know what my spots have because here's kind of the difference a little bit in the offshore versus skinny water. I know I don't have a giant population of fish, so I can't. I can't wear on them. I know you don't wear on them either. You you know, you probably catch three, four or five to find out the sizes in that school, but I can't even catch that many per se. I just need to maybe two or three, maybe that's even risky, but really I just need to catch as many until I get a good size one. Then at least know that spot has some size, but anyway, that's, that's kind of where, how I do it. And then I just, yeah, A, B, C and D and move, move, move. But on tournament days when I really know, and I expand a little bit further on the area, that's when I actually really know what I have and which spot. And I always go to the, the spot I feel has the most potential first. And then maybe I'm there all day long. And I never move because I expand on it and it's unreal. But then there's a time where spot B or spot C turned out to be the better one. And I just wasn't sure. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't pre-fish and catch all my fish pre-fishing. Right. So then on the second day of the tournament, now I really know, right. I've fished them all hard, you know, on, first day now i know which one really has the size and has the numbers and then i go back and i just kind of focus on that one and hopefully i never have to move on to b or, or c or d so it happened both lacrosse and darden i had to move a lot and darden i mean wisconsin uh you know i ended up with 11th place and, and scratched out a check but dardanelle five places i just could not find them you know which is just how it goes man it's fishing but uh yeah 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 that was gonna be one of my one of my bigger curiosity questions here was um when you're practicing is like how do you know i mean obviously if you catch one or two decent fish off the bat that's a clear-cut sign you know get out because it's probably going to be a high percentage but when you say you launch into somewhere and you catch you know a 13 incher a 14 another 13 like do you have like a stopping point where you're like maybe there if i fish through it enough there might be big ones or will you go until you find a significant fish if you know mm -hmm. let, let's put it on the grounds of you know it's gonna take a 90 plus inch bag to win 
will you fish through an area until you figure out what the big ones are doing or maybe change baits to try to get a bigger bite? Or will you just kind of, you know, not, I shouldn't say not fish through them, but like, will you leave and hope that there's big ones there? I, I will leave it a point. I mean, honestly, it's probably the same thing you do when you think about it. it probably translate the exact same yeah. way. You hit a you hit a school of fish, and you just start to realize that it's just there's not any size there. It's going to take you a long time to to get to a seventeen. You know, rivers, creeks, and backwaters are eerily similar, man. They are. Uh, you know, birds of a feather flock together. It's true. I mean, it's, you know, and and of course, you have to understand. You guys have to remember, if you're listening to this, like how many years experience on rivers and creeks I have. So I also know to look for other signs. It's not just, oh, I'm catching 13th and 14th. It's like, no, you know, what did one area have where I caught big ones in that, on that, you know, in that lake, other creeks or rivers or backwaters? What did that have? Was it grass? Was it rock? Was there something that's now it's a combination of things. It's missing the, the key environmental factor. Plus I'm getting just 13s and 14s plus maybe the water clarity that the, 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 the current isn't the it's too swift or, or it's too too uh calm it's not the mo- like a moderate or whatever i'm looking for sometimes you're looking for swifter sometimes moderate but um and sometimes even even calmer but it just depends so you put it all together just like a puzzle uh, but there's definitely a point where you're just like i gotta go i can't just keep you know i've caught five or six small ones and if it's clear water and you're just not seeing anything bigger on top of that too and you can stand up and see them it's like all the signs are pointing to I need to I need to move. And my goal is always to find as many spots the same way I'm sure your goal is. I want as you want as many schools or hit as many uh you know high percentage areas, you know, whether it's brush piles you've marked or rock points or whatever, you know, you just want as many of those as possible. And then you can just really go all out in the tournament and really figure out, all right, here's what I've got. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good point too, is like with your style at the backwaters, shallow stuff is if you don't have that water clarity where you can visually see kind of what's there, like to an extent, I mean, you got to catch one in order to kind of see what's going on. Uh, but if you get good enough with your electronics in that offshore deal, you can actually get a good idea. One, one of what the species is Two, uh, you can kind of get an idea of the size that's there. If it's a mixed school, if it's just a lot of big ones, or if obviously just a bunch of small bass, I mean, there might be, you can kind of get an idea. I'm not saying it's clear cut because it's not, but you can kind of get an idea when you find, find a school that's maybe a bunch of two pounders. So like 13 to 15 inches, but you can see obviously, you know, whether it's down imaging or on your side, you can tell when there's a bigger one in there. Um, so, I, I mean, I would say it's, it's pretty similar in terms of, you know, when I know that tournament is going to take mm-hmm. you know, a decent amount of, of, length to win uh if i catch a 13 and a 14 what i usually what i do initially even if it's my first cast in a school or i know that there's fish on a maybe it's like an offshore piece of like maybe it's a boulder or you know maybe it's a ledge you know that first and second bite i think is always crucial to see what that fish does with that bite does that fish bite initially and run away because if he does that means it's competing and that usually means right. if they eat quick too that means there's a lot more fish there than you probably realize. If the second bite is similar, then you, you got yourself a good school or a fire. But if they're both small, I, I've really in, in not that I'm saying it's a proven theory here, but one that I've been experimenting a lot with is like when I find that there's a concentration of fish, at least for a tournament practice, I will take like a bigger swim bait. Like I have some mag drafts mm-hmm. that are just completely shredded 
that I've just taken and they're just big screw locks in them. And I'll just use those to see if those get thumped. And you can tell between like a two pounder and like yeah. a decent fish when they eat that. Oh yeah. I will throw that back in there. If I think there's any bigger ones in there that have the capability of eating it. And like for anything in, you know, in shallow water too, you could, you could use usually, Oh my gosh, I can't speak. You could easily throw like a glide bait to make those bigger fish show themselves. But that's like kind of like the offshore deeper way of me getting fish to show themselves. Like that's true. Big baits to get them to commit without actually catching them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's smart, man. Even though it's a big school or, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big school. I mean, school could be five fish too. You still don't want to catch. I mean, even if it's a hundred fish, you want to like not catch them. If you, if, if you don't have to or don't need to, you can find out what size they are. You know, you know, these days people live scope and they just look and they don't even like cast at them pre-fishing. So you're doing that as smart. It's, it's the same thing I do. Uh, in pre-fishing, I pull and what, if it's shallow, which a lot of times the water I'm fishing is shallow, I'm notorious for pulling the bait away. Just, I see what, I see what it is. And I don't want to catch it. Uh, I mean, I've got GoPro footage of me, being upset you know like on the susquehanna river i'm like dang it no no and like i'm fighting this giant smallmouth is jumping and it just looks silly with me being upset and if you if i ever posted it everyone would be like that's so weird why is he so upset he's got a giant smallmouth on i tried to pull the bait away and i missed i couldn't do it it got it too quick the tournament was the next day and and there was two of them chasing it and i'm like oh man so i tried to to definitely pull it away and on the video i even just posted on instagram like today or whenever that was um you know, I'm just trying to just horse them in real quick. I don't care if they get off and pre-fishing. I want to just try, I hope they get off actually. Sometimes I'm not a, a person who posts a lot of big fish pre-fishing. Other kayak anglers do. And that's a lot of times because I have pulled the bait away or whatever. Um, but if mm-hmm. I get them in, hey, of course I'm going to get a good good photo. But anyway, our yeah. styles are, are so similar. They're so far apart. They're so different. And it's so interesting to have this conversation because something I see that mirrors the, the ba- bass boat world you don't really see a lot of anglers who are really good at both styles. You know what I mean? You just don't. It's because it's even hard as as many days as they have on the water, full-time, bass fishermen. It's so stinking hard to be good at mm-hmm. both. You're, you would almost do better and cash more checks and win more tournaments focusing and putting all your eggs hardcore in one basket or the other. Uh, but of course, there are tournaments where you can't help it. You're going to go up north. You're going to have your St. Lawrence and your your Eries and places like that. But even still, let's just say you were a, a shallow water, backwater guy. You can get largemouth in those places and still cash checks. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. but you might, if let's say you try to be super versatile and you're at that highest level, it can bite you. You can have a lot of 30 and 40 place finishes, which are great out of 100 anglers if you're in a field like the Elite Series. But wouldn't you rather have a, a, a 50 or 60th place finish on a couple of tournaments and then some top tens or a win? Of course. You know, yeah. so that's that's where I think it's interesting. I've stuck to my guns. Uh, I do have a live scope. I am putting it on. I'm going to use it in certain situations. I'm not becoming, you know, like a, a Bailey or a Robert Weicker, or Adam Reiser, people that are known in the kayak world uh, for the electronics. And that's what what they do. I'm never going to have enough time to, to learn that to the same level that you have. And I think it's wise for you probably to never switch gears either. Not that you want to, that's just in your DNA, Mm -hmm. but there will be only a few times, maybe one or two times where it may make sense to, to kind of zig the other way, my direction, but not very Mm -hmm. often. And you're going to always finish better off doing what you're doing and, and just getting better at it. The time you would waste spending trying to get 
you know, remotely understanding what I do, think about how much better you could be spending getting even better with electronics to dominate on those events where that's going to work. So that's my philosophy and my theory and why I just stick to my guns. I got a kayak for the simplification, the ease of, you know, to get in the places boats can't go to be able to find, um, I find water and look for water where I can catch them on a spinnerbait, chatterbait, buzzbait, swimbait, something moving like that. And I pretty much look at the map and I tell the lake, I'm like, I'm going to find where those baits will work. I don't care what everyone else is doing. They just hop in a lake and let's see what the bite is. Let's see what's happening here, how I'm going to catch them. I'm determined. And that it sounds stubborn, but I'm telling you if, you, if you focus so hard on that one, something, your strength, that actually can work. It, it does work. It, it may limit you to some tournaments and some, like this Lake Russell, right? It's going to limit my amount of water to fish to like 5% of the whole lake. Whereas mm-hmm. other places that are, you know, like whatever, like, I can't like Dardanelle or, or lacrosse or whatever, Susquehanna river. That's like 99% my all water yeah. that I understand. Right. So you get my point. Uh, I think it's, it's just interesting. Even on the highest level of the basketball world, you just don't see a lot of people who everyone kind of is known for something. I think that's smart from a branding perspective to also just be known. This is what he does. Chris Zaldane throws the big swim baits. He goes for broke. He knows that. Well, if that bites on, he's got a chance, you know, um, you know, yeah. who any a lot of these Japanese guys, it's like four pound tests, three pound tests, five, six. They, they're so good. Um, you know, Taku Ito, all those guys, man, that that's just but it's great for their brand and they are so good at it. They can find a, a spot on that lake that it will work and compete. And that's what I think is crazy, too. The last thing I mentioned, I'll let you get back in here is the the best anglers at every style, whether it's dot, you know, the banks the backwaters, creeks, rivers like I do, or offshore, I honestly believe in every single body of water, you can catch the winning fish in every every one of those scenarios. Now, it's dependent on those three different anglers, each how good they are at crafting their skill in those conditions on those two days or three or four days. And that's the beauty of our sport. It can be won anywhere. I mean, anywhere. It really can. So uh, it's a lot of fun to see how it all plays out. Oh, yeah it's it's a completely different ball game like especially from an offshore perspective i mean i think there with with that and how much you have to search for it, i mean you there is the chance that it's a lot of opportunity costs in terms of you're missing out on a lot of other stuff where you could be you know you could be really moving and grooving trying to figure out a shallow bite and really covering a lot of ground whereas you can cover at just as much ground if not more while you're graphing but it's a lot of dead space mm-hmm. where it's just useless stuff that you're not acquiring. But now and then you do acquire those, those hidden gems and maybe they're not hidden, but like gems that'll make you do pretty well in a tournament and uh, things that people aren't really willing to put that work in. And it's kind of almost a game of gambling in itself, to be honest with you. It is uh, just as much, just as much as it is for you to go and drive an hour and a half to the North end of the lake where no one else is really willing to go and go completely to the very back of a Creek that, you know, you have no idea if it's going to pan out or not. I think that's just as much of a gamble. Um, and, and I mean, I guess we say that that's just fishing really, but, um, I mean, I think, uh, one thing really fast quit, uh, that re- reminded me just kind of like my beginnings of fishing drew is, uh, my first kayak ever was a Walmart, like just a simple, I can't even remember what the heck they're, they're called like the sun dolphins or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. but, 
growing up in middle school, like I would go down the road and go fish for, we had these little backwater creeks with smallmouth in them. And I would just take one rod, a spinnerbait. And that was like, kind of like a really hidden passion of mine. Cause I couldn't like go to the lake. My dad didn't have a boat right. or anything like that. And that's what I got that sun dolphin for. And then thought, Hey, I should get a, you know, the bigger kayak. I've wanted one at least my dad ended up getting me that field and stream shadow caster, that huge barge. Oh, yeah. That was not yeah. a backwater kayak. The thing was so dang heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how I actually started was like these backwater smallies. So when I get times to like leave the graphs at home, maybe go to a pond and bring only a frog and a jig or go in these little backwater tile stuff. Like, dude, I tell you my event that I am most excited for this year is that wolf and Fox river in Wisconsin. Oh yeah. Cause like, yeah. well, I mean, for one, we don't have a fishery like that here in New York and I am dying to do that. So I will say my passion and my strength lie offshore, but I mean, Anyone that doesn't enjoy getting backwaters, no graphs, picking up a chatterbait or a spinnerbait and going to town, I mean, they just don't like fishing, to be honest. No, seriously. You know, and speaking of that, when when I see people make comments and say things like, or not give myself or anyone who, who does well in a tournament in a creek with no graphs or whatever, you know, just two, three rods. When I see people or hear people almost discredit that, dude, that drives me crazy because it's like they feel like they're so we're so locked in and conditioned to the big fast world the electronics and all that that if you if you find them that way there's like mad respect and it's easy to find find them the other way which is not true it's easy to catch fish in a creek no doubt about it it is hard to catch winning fish in a creek and that or river you know smaller river that's where the skill really comes in so it, it bugs me when i do you know, I've seen it online before. I have seen people say that, you know, where it's almost like discrediting that but to me, like that is like you said, it's, there's so much purity in that and joy and fun in that. But I also see the, the joy and, and the, the art in doing what you do with the graph, just graphing nonstop and you commit to it. That's what I love about it. You know, like I got it. I'm going to graph all day, all day. I'm going to get up at two in the morning and just start graphing. I get it, man. Cause with your style, if you don't do that, you will never be successful. You've got to commit to graphing. I mean, like a whole day or more because you know what you're looking for on the graph. You don't, then you can go back and throw it the second, third day of pre-fish and you can really figure out all, all the points you've marked. And I agree with, with what you're saying. The kayak world's different than the bass boat world. I think bass boat world fishes offshore more than the kayak world because the kayak world, either people aren't comfortable being offshore or they understand how to use the technology. Some, some people, just like bass boat world, not everyone understands really how to graph properly. They may not have a 360 like, like you and, and some of the tools, the lives mm-hmm. that, that really, you know, make change the game. So I think it's cool and it's smart that you're, that you're doing that, especially with the advance in technology. And then you commit to it on top of it. I mean, it's great. So that's why, uh, you know, your, your success is, is what it is as well. So. Yeah. And I think that the two styles of fishing also apply to fishing within your means. Now I think, your style of fishing is much more accessible for anyone really even just getting into the sport because it's minimal gear. But I mean, I think it's, I don't want to say it's harder to fish offshore. It's just unfortunate. You need better equipment if that makes any, makes any sense, which kind of, you know, people can argue kind of gets away from the whole, you know, kayak fishing, where it started, what it's actually about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to, I won't argue that. I mean, I I just think that you can't, you shouldn't well yeah i don't think you should put a limit 
on on kayak fishing because no. I think there's it's always going to be, you know, Drew, your this style of fishing you have is always going to be what people think of kayak fishing about, and I think that's perfectly true. But I don't think people should place a limit on it, like me getting comments right. for being offshore in a kayak and boats driving around saying I shouldn't be out there. I don't think that's right at all. Uh, no. And we can get that's a whole nother tangent. We can go on that for years. Well, along those same lines, I don't think it's right that we have any boundaries in our watersheds when that's why we got the kayak is to have to be able exactly. to go anywhere. If the water, if you can float, you know, paddle your way down a river or creek into that main lake, then that is part of that ecosystem. You know what I mean? That that's dam to dam. So that to me is the other thing, you know, that we could talk, talk about. I mean, you could almost argue it's, it's makes more sense to, to cut off offshore fishing to a certain degree in big bodies of water where it's, you could say it's, it's, you know, for most people, it's not safe. safe to be offshore and that, and since boat tournaments cover that water, you could do something like Grand Lake. You could almost argue more of that side. I don't think either one should be off limits for kayaks. We should embrace the you know the versatility of it that's what makes it different than the boating world we can literally go anywhere and everywhere and we don't want to be on top of them anyway so if we continue to, to keep it all open it allows the angle the anglers now to figure out the puzzle now we get to figure it all out and one day some kid's going to come along he really is going to be amazing at electronics and he's going to be amazing at skinny and backwaters and he's going to have the experience and knowledge to understand when to do which when to zig when to do zag because certainly even though it could be one either way in each tournament, there's going to be tournaments where it would be wiser to choose, pick one or the other. You know what I mean? To, to do mm-hmm. your odds will be greater. You know what I mean? It's going to, to, to win in one you know, way or the other. So one day some kid's going to come along and he's going to be just amazing in all of it. Uh, but you know, it's who knows. I'm, there's someone probably right now that, that is that we're just not thinking about, but yeah. it's just hard. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's obviously bodies of water that just, you know, you're not going to have that offshore bit. Like, uh, I mean, I think in certain cases, like, I guess it, re- like, it really just boils down to what body of water it is. Like the Susquehanna River, like you're not going to be doing any sort of, I mean, right. to an extent maybe, but you're not really going to be using electronics. It's more of who can read yeah. the current the best and find that bigger, better caliber of fish, plain mm-hmm. and simple. Uh, and it's those people that can do well on a fishery like that, like a Cody Milton that I believe I didn't, didn't he win right. that event? Yeah. And he then did not win. Offshore. He got like second, I think, one year to Jody Queen. Uh, and yeah, and then he does really well offshore. So he's good at. He's an Arkansas guy. He's a great example of someone that's really good at, at both. You know, really good at mm-hmm. both. So, I mean, it's it's definitely doable. And he's a good example of someone who's is you know like a PKA, a pro kayak angler. He's got a lot of time. Mm-hmm. He he's can can really spend enough time to hone each each one. The question is, you know, if he spent – well, the kayak world is different because you will have tournaments like the Wolf and Fox or Susquehanna where you're, you're right. There is no offshore anything. It's Unless it was held in January, there's – you know, when they when they winter in deep holes, the smallies, you know, it's not going to play. But um, but no, you're right. It's, it's, it's amazing to see anglers that can do both really well because it's not easy and it takes a lot of time to learn and understand what makes, you know, each – you know situation where you can catch those winning fish you know it's not easy so yeah yeah and you know kind of wrapping up the whole the point on fishing offshore i i I firmly believe that fishing offshore like actually getting those fish to bite is relatively easy 
I think because the biggest factors to me are one conditions two your boat positioning and then obviously application like what how are you presenting Mm -hmm. that bait but beyond that it's really just the biggest factor is are you willing to put in the time and it's not really like I mean obviously I I think graphing in a kayak is much harder than graphing in a boat obviously but like it's just more are you willing to put in that time and the energy to find them I mean, that's, that's the hardest part. I mean, once you find those offshore fish and you know that they're willing to play, I mean, it's fairly easy if you can, if you know how to position your boat, right. To figure those fish out. But what I'm really curious about is like, obviously in current situations, those backwaters, they're, they're generally easy to read. If you know how to, if you understand current, right. And how those fish will set up, what that place might look like, what applications that they're aware but for me, I, I'm really curious on your thought process of mm-hmm. a lake that doesn't have just general current. And we'll take like we'll take like a possum kingdom, throw that out the window because that was a completely random act of Mother Nature. But like a lake that is just generally just stable and has those those rivers, creeks that you can access. How do you go about like? deciding which ones are more high percentage than the other is it, is it just length like what, what is what's the deal yeah i mean it it's it's very much a loaded question because it depends on the, the location you know what i mean so i mean you've got some lakes in, in the country that are in the plains that really just have kind of sandy muddy creeks that really aren't that great you know what i mean uh and also depends on the species of fish that are, that are living there but I mean, it comes down to a few things. I mean, you want to have a, a clean, that doesn't necessarily mean it's clear, but just a, a clean, healthy system. And generally, the further you go up, so I'm kind of getting into some secrets here, but the further you go up into um, the watershed, even if it's out of bounds for the tournament, which, again, little secret here, I, I fish out of bounds water a lot, but all I'm trying to do is learn about that creek or river and the health, the health of it. You know what I mean? Are you seeing bait? Are you seeing life? Are you seeing, you know, the things that I just kind of look for uh, with the right, you know, aquatic vegetation, everything that I know to look for, the right clarity, whatever. If you're seeing that, then you know downstream in that whole creek arm or, you know, river arm of the lake is probably good because it's got fertile water dumping into it. So now, you know, you can kind of expand on that a little bit. And you didn't have to burn up any of your fish, any of your fish in the tournament either. Now, is it a risk? You really have to have some insane experience to really read all that and then go cold turkey into that float or whatever you're doing, right, in, in the tournament. Because, you know, it's just a huge risk. But I will pre-fish usually, you know, for a little bit inbounds water too. But if I just want to stop at a bridge or stop somewhere and find the health of the fishery, I can do it and, and read it quickly to move on to another one and to find as many spots. But basically you're looking for – um depth i mean bigger fish you know they do need do need depth right at some point they need some depth nearby it doesn't mean you know it could be summertime and they could be in a foot of water of course but if there isn't good a good deep wintering hole uh you know in that mile of of river creek then there's probably you know not going to be that as many fish there right because they still need depth um you get rare situations where bigger fish from the lake move up in the fall late summer, fall, chasing shad that you got to know things like that happen. So generally this one Creek could be horrible all the, you know, the times of the year, but then one random, you know, month of the year, month or two, when the shad are moving up there, you could have 20 inches up there. So you got to understand stuff like that as well. 
you know, you just, it's just over time. You got to learn different things. You got the, the, the like shoals and pools and runs and, and creeks and rivers, right. Generally. And your, your rapids, uh, you know, your shoals, if you will, your rapids in, in certain parts of the country, the Ozarks or the plains, whatever, they're going to look different. They could be where it narrows down and just gets swift, but it kind of dumps into a pool, right? I'm not saying it's a true rapid like the Appalachians and the Piedmont in the Southeast, although it could be, but generally you have those uh, rapids dump into pools and pools could either, you know, dump into start another rapid which is all essentially just a miniature dam a rapid is just when the rocks pile up and and when it narrows up like that it's making a little mini dam so that's depth so you things like that are good runs when it gets narrow uh, are just straightaways which are called runs and they're just straightaways they're shallower and they're swifter generally are not as productive so you can look on a map and figure out things like that the outside bends are generally deeper because the river creek has hit hard uh, rock and it turned the river creek that's what made the river bend right it hit rock or a hard clay if it's in certain parts of the country so you know you got more depth there again more depth equals potential for bigger fish they need a bigger deeper water to hide in right so lots of little things like that man and you can learn a lot of that bailey by looking at the map and looking at the shape of the river and the water cl- clarity of the rivers and creeks it, you know, it's a little bit longer than we have now to get completely into, but to answer your question and, you know, short as I could, it's kind of all that wrapped up into one and it yeah. just takes experience to kind of figure out how much, uh, how much trekking like through backwoods to find the end of a Creek. Have you done like not even taking the kayak, but just like hiking through whether right. it's public or private, <laughs> we, won't, we won't have you disclose. Like, do you go through to like, find the backwaters just so you can do a quick study without actually having to unload anything. Yeah. More than people probably realize. Um, And I've got stories I could tell about that because Bailey, that's one of the things like when you're graphing for a whole day with your style, my graphing is driving around and looking at every, you know, Creek and river and backwater that I can find public access to quickly so I can assess it. And then I can come back the second. You're graphing on the road. I'm graphing on the road. And a lot of times it it's all about time management, saving time. I think some people think, oh, I want to go get to this spot, but it's going to be a, a three-mile paddle or motor and pre-fishing or whatever. If I can find any other way to get there, that'll save me the, you know, an hour or two from motoring, which is one way. You know, it's going to be two or four hours, whatever it is. Yeah. Round trip, that kills your entire day of pre-fishing. And, and the more spots I can see – with the experience, you know, coupled with the experience I've got, uh, you know, in fisheries like all across the country. Um, Cause I fished all over, you know, thanks to my hooked on wild water show I did and just you know, traveling a, lo- a lot in the industry, you know, I can couple that experience with, you know, I've seen that before. I've seen this before. So the more I can see, the more confident I feel like I can break it down. So I, I do a lot of um, hiking. And the one story I'll tell is just, I mean, I scaled a, a cliff man it, i probably shouldn't even like you know mention it or whatever I don't want my wife to know some of the stuff i've done <laughs> probably but she probably kill me but uh no I, I scaled like a cliff she probably can hear me upstairs anyway talking but whatever um <laughs> i in uh i think it was on, the last words of drew Gregory. Yeah, <laughs> on champlain yeah exactly i mean i'm safe about it and i know what i'm doing but for sure doing it alone is, is always not as safe as doing it with somebody else and i was uh, just scaling a cliff uh, to get to this one uh, fishery in, in Champlain. 
and it was pretty dangerous. And if I would have fallen, I mean, yeah, I would have gone in the water, you know, I would have fallen in the water, I guess. And it was deep there, but it would have not been fun. And you know, whatever, probably would have been okay. But anyway, it took me a while to hike down this waterfall, basically all this whole area to get to a spot. And it was pretty, could be conceived as dangerous if you didn't know what you're doing, I guess perceived as dangerous, we but you got, you're on to me. Yeah. You know we all have I do a lot of that. Gregory now. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go, folks. I mean, keep your eyes on the bank on the water, but make sure you're checking those cliffs because a wild Drew Gregory is probably scaling down yeah. the thing. <laughs> just dropping a chatterbait up, up the top. I'll do that from bridges all the time. Just drop a chatterbait off or some bait. And then you can see because you're up t- you're up high, you can see if anything's coming and you can see the size of it. And you pull it away and you're like, Yep, okay. And then you hop back in your car, go to the next one. We are and unleashing then, the Drew yeah. Gregory juice today. But dude, tell me it's not tell me it's not much different than what you do. In a lot of ways, it's so similar. We're just you're covering water, you're dropping pins, you know, waypoints, you're marking your spots, so you can come back and really dive deeper and and, and understand what's there with actually fishing on the second or third day of, of you know practice. And I'm doing yeah. the same thing, just covering as much as I can to to uncover what's really there. So then it comes down to execution, which yeah. Yeah, whole other story it's it's yeah. hooking the fish is the hardest part and then you know landing them is still you know even harder sometimes so. yeah exactly but well, i think to, to wrap up this conversation i'm actually kind of curious to see uh how this compares i mean i, I think it's going to compare pretty drastically just because i'm of the fishermen we are but <clears throat> I, i'm curious of you get three search baits just like for finding fish and just knowing they're there, figure out size, three search baits. I mean, I'm sure I could probably name them off for you and you could probably do likewise, yeah. but I'm just curious, three search baits. What are you bringing? Yeah, it's going to be, you know, a chatter bait and a, uh, you know, buzz bait or whopper plopper. The buzz bait and whopper plopper will be interchangeable depending on whether there's grass in the fishery or if it's clean, like open water, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, probably like a spinner bait i just like like those i typically throw a spinner bait when there's a little bit more current and rapids because it gets down underneath there and the, the blades turn the chatterbait not quite as effective and uh but anyway that's kind of the difference another similar people throw spinner baits and chatterbaits uh they're kind of similar right and people don't really sometimes understand why you do one or the other to me it's a, it also boils down to the chatterbait skips and I can get it skipping really good, and the spinnerbait doesn't. But those would be my three uh, for sure to just find the fish. And then hopefully I'm still using those on, on tournament day too, uh, maybe mixing in a swim bait there or every once in a while a jig or something with a crawl on the back or something like that and some, some blowdowns. But yeah, I, I try not yeah. to deviate too much. No, no. I mean, that's it's pretty straightforward, and I feel like that's – not only just search baits, but like that's like you mentioned, that's those are stuff you're pretty much going to use on tournament day if they're going to eat it. Yeah, is yours like uh, crankbait? What about your three? You gonna so deep, deep diving crank or Carolina rig or what do you throw down there to find them in twenty five foot? I do like to throw a crankbait, but believe it or not, it's really not my favorite search bait just to get that initial bite. I think universally, like just all around around the country, like if I just need one search bait to kind of just know that they're bass. I like to throw like a finesse, just a single swimmer, like a, like yeah. a three and a half or a four inch just to think that they're bass. Cause 
I mean, that's my confidence bait mm-hmm. that I'm like a, like a little owner football head. I like a football head for a, for a swim bait head more than really? a just, yeah. Uh, that's at cool. least for me, especially it, it's probably the northerner in me talking for smallmouth with our rock piles and shoals and stuff like that, just because it comes through better. Um, but a, a, a single swimmer is like one of my favorite search baits just to tell if they're bass. And you fish um, it on the bottom through the rocks? With it the depends on the fish positioning, but yeah, you can obviously, if I'm going to go on bottom, I'm going to use that football head, but I will just use a single swim bait head, either a ball head or an actual, like, right. I can't really say the, the name of it, but uh, just if I'm going to fish it more mid column, if I'm going to actually have a countdown, uh, which is obviously going to change once I get mega live, you know, you can actually see how those fish real time are going to be positioned up. Um, but swim bait. And the next one is actually, one that I think you'll really enjoy here, Drew. I like to throw an one, a one ounce jackhammer. Yeah, for those deep, for those deep fish. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of like a little bit of juice uh, that I don't see many people doing. Many no. people doing. Uh, uh, Miles Berghoff talked about it. Dude, while, I was gonna like, say him. I was gonna Chickamauga. Yeah, he's he a big fan of that thing, he and he said it. it. I was like, I hope nobody in the north like hears about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> he told me that I, on the I, phone. I've never seen anyone else do it up here. Like. They're like, what out what chatterbaits are you throwing? And they're like, an ounce. And they're like, what? I'm like, I probably should stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, he told me that one time on the phone. We were talking and and uh because he's on the Z-Man team with me, and we'll chat every once in a while. You know, super, super great guy and, and one of the best in the industry. And he he was telling me about some schools of fish on, on chick, the same thing. And 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 I was just like, How many fish are out there, man? You think? And he's like, Oh, there's uh, there's schools of thousands of bass. And I was like, No yeah. way. And I was like, What do you what do you catch them on? He said, yeah, like an ounce, three quarter, and uh, out, up to an ounce jackhammer, and of course they make it up to I think one point two five, but uh, mm-hmm. it just blew me away. But it makes sense. I mean, you're getting a bait that they don't see very often down deep like that. So that's that's some more juice here late in late in the podcast for those who have been, you know, paying attention here, following yeah, along. If, if folks are sticking around here, they're getting some uh, some good juice headed their way. Uh, but dude, the last one for me is. One that I've always had a lot of confidence in, um, in general. And Buddy Gross really confirmed this this theory. I, sh- I say theory, but it's more just kind of been like a a feeling that I had. But Buddy Gross ha- has this same theory that, um, like, and this is why a, a crankbait, like burning a crankbait, is not like my favorite search bait because I feel like a crankbait. If you got a school that doesn't, you haven't really tapped yet if you burn that through them, you're more likely to spook a bunch of them than you are to actually get them fired up. Uh, now that's not always the case, right? But those fish, when they're not being touched, no one's you know getting them fired up yet. Buddy Gross, and I have a clip of it on this channel. We have a whole episode. He talked about using a football jig to get those first few bites because it's on the bottom. It's subtle. Tend to the, fish that are more likely to eat tend to be closer to the bottom of the water column. So if you get those fish fired up with that football jig, then you can come in with a, you know, a big hair jig or crankbait and get those fish that maybe were a little bit suspended up to come back down. Like what's all this commotion about? Sure. Get more of those fish fired up. And the the crankbait's more of a closer than anything else. Yeah. Um, no, that so, makes yeah. sense, man. That, yeah. No, but Buddy Gross is one of the best, obviously, at that. And he he's the kind of angler that scares me. Or like someone like uh I don't know, like remember when Brett Height one time uh was 
was it him? He, he had uh, found some fish, like a giant school fish offshore. I think it was on the Harris chain or something when they were there with, and just smashed them with the jackhammer. People that just find these fish offshore I mean, buddy gross is probably one of the best at Brian thrift people like that are who you're emulating. And that's what scares me. So when anglers like you, they're electronics focused when they're we're on a lake and I know that potential is there offshore. It, I'm always freaking out thinking about, you know, somebody, one, some electronics guy has found a school of these giants out there. How am I going to, and they're going to sit there all day long in one spot and with a trolling motor with spot lock, potentially not even have to do anything, but just sit there and cast. And I'm going to be driving around paddling tw- 15 miles a day, just trying to find the one good fish in, in a mile and a half or two miles that could compete with them sitting there. So it, it's just funny how so different these styles are. And I'm telling you, when this becomes a TV product one day, that's going to be the beauty of our sport is being able to see one guy doing it so different than the other guy. And then both of them have a chance to win the thing. So it's pretty cool. Um, but I like that tip from Buddy Gross. That's a good one. Uh, and I will warn you guys this. One of the last things I'll say before we move on, excuse me, and wrap this up. Um, and maybe one other topic we're going to hit or whatever. But I want to warn people about what I talk about my style when we're, it sounds so easy, right? It, I, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about this. It just, we make it look easy. It sounds easy. It's kind of like a professional golfer. They make it look so easy. So when I watch golf, all of a sudden I get fired up to go to the course. I'm like, that looks so easy, man. Their swing is so simple, so easy. I can do that. I go out there and it's like not, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay golfer, but it's not even close. And, but it looks so easy in a, in a pro, like a, you know, a thrift, a wheeler, whoever you want to say, you know, Evers or Ott, whatever. They're all, they make it look so easy. So I'm sitting here talking to you guys about how I find fish in these backwaters and creeks and it just seems so easy. I want to warn you that just because fish are in a backwater where boats can't get, they're unpressured. It's it's still not easy to catch them. No, it's not easy to find the right size. It's not easy to produce it two days in a row. And there's no guarantee that the the rain and the weather doesn't really mess you up where it may not mess up the offshore guys as much. And I get more fingers here and the other people aren't going to show up right and be on your spot. And in that case, you're donezo. You better have a plan B, C and, and D. It's what makes what I do nerve-wracking so there are, are pros and cons and i'm making it sound great and and but i wouldn't trade it for anything else and if, if somebody else finds it then good on them and we can discuss how to like kind of figure it out and split it up or or one person just just bails and goes somewhere else and we've done that before i, I like seminole you know uh, i think jason broach and who was it? a few other people were at the same little creek that i was going to fish it was coming in to the lake and and i I knew they pre-fished I saw him go in there. So I talked to them at the pre-tournament meeting and they, you know, he's, he was like, I'm going there. And I'm like, okay, well, tell you what, there's a point where, you know, we, we had like kind of a deal. I don't know if anyone ever held up to their end of the bargain. Cause I never actually went in there. I didn't need it, but the deal was like, Hey, look, my little teeny 10 foot kayak can go a little further in the back of all that than you guys can. If you guys, you guys, I'll bail. I won't even go there. I won't. Cause any, we all could get there within the, 30 minute time allotted at the beginning of the day to paddle or pedal there to start fishing. So I did not want to be sitting there with three people just like trying to figure out, you know, butt elbows and figure out what we're going to do. Right. And, and then no, no, no one's going to win. So I literally said, I'll concede that whole Creek. Give me that back a little bit, just in case at the very end of the day, if I need to come in there at the very end, I can go all the way back there and know it's kind of untouched. And, you know, they were 
I think they were kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, who knows if they did it or not, but it was a compromise we made. And I ended up going and fishing blind, just a whole new section of, of water that looked good that I never had time to pre-fish. Cause that's the other thing. You can't cover all of these Drew Gregory kind of river bass and places pre-fish. You can't cover them all. So I still had a few bullets left that I hadn't fired in some spots that I thought. So I went blindly and found just some giants in a backwater and never even needed the other spot. So it's, it's a scary proposition. You got to figure out ways and you got to be able to communicate with your fellow anglers. If you do run run into them, because that can certainly mess your, your odds up. So, and I'm always looking for winning fish. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm trying to win every tournament and it's just not going to happen on a small, small Creek if multiple people are there. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. And one that I completely forgot to bring up is just like, how good are these areas in terms of consistency and, and with tournaments like offshore areas, you more likely have one people might, I mean, at least in, on the boater side, you'll have more than likely that uh, somebody one will find that spot Two, You might have, excuse me, maybe some company as we say, but op- those offshore deals are a little bit easier to upkeep for more than one person fishing it. Whereas, some of that backwater stuff, if it's more than one or two people, I mean, it's just not even worth staying there in general because you might get one or two fish, but then everyone else is kind of struggling to get the rest of their limit. That's where, like you said, communication comes into play. But also, you mentioned over two days. I mean, you really have to manage your fish well. I mean, obviously, this goes for, you know per fishery because the same can be applied for the fish that are offshore, maybe some deeper fish, what have you. But more often than not, like in that backwater stuff, you really have, you can't beat the crap out of them on that first day. Unless you really have current flowing in and you know, things are changing and more fish are coming in like throughout that day. If more Mm -hmm. fish are coming in, obviously you'll be fine. But that being said, that can apply to an offshore fishery where you have a whole, like you were saying, Drew, where Miles says there's a thousand fish in there. They're not going anywhere. Right. Where you got to be a little bit more strategic and I give you more props for that, for that backwater stuff, because there's a lot of people that, you know, will catch a hundred inches and know that they're on track to win and they won't stop. They'll, they'll catch 105, but they're only going to catch 90 the next day. And the guy that caught 98, 96 is going to win. So right. it's just one of those deals. It's true. Um, yeah. But I think it's cool to kind of see where the difference is in that style of fishing, the, that preference kind of lie and, the pros and cons of each and um, kind of different ins and outs of both. And I think we did a good job at describing them tonight. Um, but I know we have one more thing before we sign off here tonight. And do you want to uh, kick that off? Let the folks sure. Know. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, you know, on the, I believe the 11th, that's a Tuesday coming up here soon, January 11th uh, on the paddle and fin network. There's going to be a new uh, show. It's a fantasy fishing show, right? So we started the fantasy, you know, kayak, bass fishing game again uh this year so i've passed that i started it right with ken morris uh, when we were doing the hooked on wild waters podcast and once we restart our podcast it will be called the river bassin podcast we'll focus a little bit more on river bassin uh and and who knows i I either going to start another podcast where i talk more tournament stuff like this or maybe i just come on your podcast and we recap what's going on i don't know who knows because uh i still like always itching to like talk that stuff too but anyway we're gonna have the fantasy game back up and running this year and it's you know i don't want to spill all the beans about it because i want you guys to listen to that podcast and understand it but 
It's going to be more exciting because Paddle and Finn is taking it to another level, and it's going to be up and running sooner than it's ever been before. So we'll have a you know three week window until the first um, tournament, the KBF Ten Invitational, and the whole you know um, Trail Series in Kissimmee. But what I can tell you this year is, and I think I can say this, they're actually going to do it in quarters. So it's not a whole year. So you can actually, not only is there going to be a winner per quarter, hope I'm not you know blowing some big surprise. I don't think it's a big deal, but you can also change your, you're going to be able to change your anglers. How cool is this Bailey? In a, so you, if you pick like, let's say, I don't know what the limit's going to be. So I don't know all the details, but let's say you, instead of six anglers this year, you can pick um, 10. It's on your team. So you have a bench, so to speak, and you can start six every, every tournament weekend, you can start six. So in the first quarter of the year, there'll be a winner. Some person will win. And again, in our fantasy game, when an angler cashes a check, if they cash a check and they, they won $10,000 because they won a tournament, they get 10,000 fantasy points. So now you've got six anglers doing that, right? And it adds up to your team's total. Here's the cool thing, man. It goes This year it's going to go between uh, KBF Trail Series, Hobie Bass Open Series, the Bass Nation Kayak Series, and I believe the All-American is going to be a part of that as well. So there's four trails, and here's the cool thing. You can switch your anglers out. If you, if you have 10 anglers, six anglers start a weekend. So let's say – you know, somebody's not fishing the tournament that weekend. They need to be on your bench and you can add somebody from your bench that's in the tournament that weekend. So you can pile up making more money or maybe it's just a, maybe every angler is fishing that weekend at a tournament or a different tournament or whatever. And you know, so-and-so is good at offshore or inshore, you know, whatever um, backwaters creeks. You can just play to the knowledge that you know about your, your team and kind of add them in. And, and pull them out just like you can, can with fantasy football. So, and there'll be overall yearly winner. Listen to the podcast uh, on the 11th for more of the paddle and fin. It's going to be live too. Every time, every weekend, there's going to be one of those four tournament trails, you know, have a tournament. There will be a Tuesday night live podcast about the, the fantasy game. And we're going to pick our anglers who we think is going to win and stuff like that. Just kind of preview the tournament. So it's going to be a cool way to preview these events. We have a lot of, podcasts that do a lot of you know post coverage like have the winners on interview them how'd you win all that stuff this is going to be a cool way we can preview the events i think it's going to be you know i think bailey and and adam riser are going to do really good because this is an offshore setting up to be an offshore event there's not as much backwaters here and so you can it's going to be a lot of you know like vegas basically like although there's no sports book on this obviously it's going to be a lot of like picking anglers we think are going to do well and then Every week also, there'll be like a recap what happened last week and then the standings and all that stuff. So it's exciting, man. It's, it's taking it to another level, and we're going to see how many people are into our sport enough to follow along with the fantasy game where they got to make some changes, you know what I mean, to stay in it. So Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, we'll folks, see. put that a reminder on for January 11th, and we will link the Paddle and Finn uh, YouTube channel. It's right. They're going live on the YouTube. Yes. And I'm assuming and, and Facebook as well. Probably. And, and and just by the way, if you guys have never heard of that, this game before, it works just like DraftKings. You have like a $60,000 salary cap or whatever it is, 50. And, and their anglers all have a salary. So you can't just, you know, if Guillermo or, or someone like myself or Russ Snyder's is like 24 or 25,000, that's like half your salary right there. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how it works. I forgot to mention that. It's a lot of fun. It really is. So you got to stay within that salary cap and, and figure it out. Heck yeah. Well, folks, it'll be down below where you guys can go click on that link and it'll take you straight to it. And uh, I think that being said, too, it'll be kind of cool to see 
And obviously, I don't know in the state of kayak fishing right now if it's how how that would look, but it'd be cool. So, like, are you familiar with the drain the lake that Bassmaster mm-hmm. does their new game? Yes, we gotta like pick that. like new anglers each time. That would kind of be a cool concept for the kayak deal because I think it would help you learn more about different. It would force you to learn more about different anglers in the yeah. kayak deal, and would help just the the brands themselves for like different anglers in terms of like getting their name out there, growing their personal brand, getting more people to know about them. That could be kind of cool with that concept. It almost forces you to learn more very about cool. the people. Competing. Yeah, very cool. And this year, that's kind of what's happening. Uh, we we increase the salaries a lot. So like, I mean, I tell you right now, Guillermo is half of your, he's number one. He's half your, your salary. So mm. if you want to, you know, if you want to fill out the rest of your five anglers with the complete other half of your salary, you know what I'm saying? Then, it's going to force you to pick guys that are down there in a three, four, and five thousand dollar range instead of like a twenty five thousand. So you have to learn other people. It, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. So let's let's all you know get in there and get involved and and just uh, kind of help grow the sport. It just helps the anglers grow their followings as well, uh, which is good for everybody. So the more attention on it all is just going to continue to help get us all collectively. We're trying to work to get it, the sport, you know, I think big enough and viable enough to where we can have an elite series, you know, which just kind of elevates the, the tiers below it as well. So it all kind of you know, rising tide raises all ships sort of thing, which is the most overused phrase ever, but it's true, <laughs> especially in the fishing world. But anyway, all right. Yeah, man. I, well, I appreciate you letting the, the folks know about that. And I appreciate you hopping on here tonight to talk with me uh, really quick for the folks <clears throat> before we sign off here tonight on Monday night live. I will not be present. That will be Andy Full and Adam Deacon. That's going to be taking over that. I will be uh, freezing my butt off on Mille Lacs in Minnesota. I have a ice fishing trip next week for work, and it's going to be a whopping negative 10 degrees on Monday, so can't wait for that. Um, that being wow. said, Andy Loberg is going to be joining us on Monday Night Live, so you guys can tune into that. And then Wednesday, Deacon for Business from the Bass Boat has – I, I I apologize if I pronounce his last name wrong. It's Joe uh, Apiger, Opiger. Basically, he's uh, the uh, contact for Bally Sports with Major League Fishing implementing betting into fishing. So you guys heard a couple of rants about us talking about betting and fishing. Uh, we're actually going to talk to the guy. Deacon's going to get him on the show and actually talk to the guy who's behind it all, see how it's going to go down, how what it's going to work, what their direction, their mission is. Um, so make sure you guys stay tuned for that one. That one's going to be a really good show. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. For folks that have tuned in and are still listening, we appreciate y'all, uh, wholeheartedly and we'll see you guys on Monday night live. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can, and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it, and if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And, of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.